Today's episode of The Advanced Route is brought to you by GameTime. Okay, folks, time for a little pop quiz. Do you think NFL tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the game? You can find the answer with GameTime, the ticket-buying app that proves patience is more than just a virtue. It can save you some serious cash. GameTime is the leader in last-minute tickets. Pick your deal, see the view from where you're sitting, and buy in two taps. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. Hello, everyone, and welcome in to the advanced route in week five. All but the 49ers and Jets have played one quarter of their games. We are flying right through another NFL season. Thank you for joining us here on the advanced route, the show here at The Athletic, where we bring stats and scouting together to try to help you win fantasy games. We're going to do that in, I think, a pretty unique way here in this week's episode. I'm your host, Michael Beller, joined, as always, by Emery Hunt. Emery, how you doing here today? I'm doing fine, Mike. It's always a pleasure to join you every week and talk some football. Yeah, you can find Emery on Twitter at FBall Game Plan. You can find me at M. Beller. Emery does a lot of great uh, scouting work in college, the pros, high school. He does uh, a lot of great uh, of that you can see on, on his Twitter account and at footballgameplan.com. So be sure to check that out as well. Uh, Emery, I-, I think we've got a fun idea here uh, this week uh, for regular season episodes of the Advanced Route. We've mostly been talking about things that have happened uh, recently in the NFL. We've been looking at uh, developments uh, that have happened that previous Sunday and trying to spin them forward and see what's real and maybe what's not quite so real. But I want to take a, a little bit more of a wide-angle lens view at the game of football uh, and the game of fantasy football as we talk about it. We talk all the time about matchups in fantasy football, about you know this defense being a tough matchup and this defense being an easy matchup. And you want to play this guy against this defense because uh, he should be able to get going against uh, you know a pass defense that maybe has been weak to this point so far. And you know as much logic as there might be behind those arguments, we ne- can never quite be sure how much that really bears out. Um, and this is where I want to bring you into the discussion because I think you can do a very good job of translating that for us. Uh, I don't think there are too many guys in the fantasy world. I can only speak for myself, but I don't think there are too many guys in the fantasy football industry who played high or, uh, football beyond the high school level if they even played there. So I think getting your eye on this discussion uh, is really going to be something uh, that helps us evaluate our fantasy football lineup decisions as we uh, progress through this season. So I'm going to start this out really wide and we'll get narrower from there. From the player's perspective, how do you prepare for that week's specific matchup? Well, you get your game plan and what is involved or, in, you know, what that game plan uh, encompasses is, you know, the plan of attack for us, the like the team, uh, what we plan to do offensively, what we plan to do defensively. Um, then you get more specific on what your goals are as in whatever side of the ball you're on. So let's say offense. For me, here's your goal for – here's our goals, our offensive goals, uh, which are pretty standard across the board. But then there's even a bigger focus. It's almost like a funnel. You, you slowly start to get narrow uh, toward the – uh, to your specific duties and role in this game. So you go from, okay, this is what we're offensively doing. Um, here are 
the matchups of the opponent. You know, here's where they're strongest. Here's our scouting report so far. So here's their strengths. Here's their areas of, of opportunity, their weaknesses, um, potential danger spots, key situations to watch for. They like to do X, Y, and Z when it's third and three, or when you see this formation, they usually like to do this. And then it gets down to your specific role as, let's say, position. So as a running back, you know, you're going to be, uh, obviously you're going to go in either as a starter or however your role is, you're going to be required to to be able to execute X, Y, and Z. So the game plans, you know, become pretty detailed and it helps you focus as a player on what specific things you want to watch for. So if I know going in that uh, when they, when their linebackers are, you know, let's say stacked behind the defensive tackles, as opposed to playing, you know, slightly away or in, you know, in gaps, I know they're going to, it's more likely going to be a pass or, you know, they're going to, you know, most likely drop in the coverage. If they're lined up in gaps, uh, most likely it's going to be some type of aggressive run blitz um, or an aggressive run fit. So you go from your specific matchup to tendencies, to overall big picture, to, uh, you know, team goals. Um, And you also have to know your assignment. They usually give you this a a day before the, the, uh, the game, uh, they give you a test to, you know, so here's like six or seven plays. What are you, what's your responsibilities on this play? You have to score uh, over 80, um, you know, in order to be deemed ready to play, you know? Uh, so the game plans are, are always unique. You know, they, they give you, you know, best players, um, certain personnel packages and, you know, who's a key player in that particular package. So there's pretty detailed game plan uh, and each week it changes. So it's pretty unique how you can, you know, go from practicing one against one team and then come back the next week, and you have a completely new game plan uh, for the opposing, uh, you know, matchup. Because, you know, matchup changes, matchups change, and therefore your game plan has to adjust. So the the specific matchup, um, you know, we'll, we'll get into the, the, the details that matter and maybe the details that don't matter quite so much in a little bit, but that specific matchup really does have a significant influence on what the game plan ends up being for every team. Right, right, right. And nine times out of ten is, you know, you're at the mercy of your coaches. But your coaches also expect you to watch film so that for you may catch something that they may have missed. But, you know, you're talking, I'm speaking from a college football perspective. You got GAs, your graduate assistants, and your position coaches and your coordinators going through the the films uh, of these uh, opponents. GAs do it first. They, you know, splice stuff up to hand over to the coaches. The coaches then do their thing, and then they disseminated amongst positional coaches and you're watching, you know, something that's specifically related to your position and your matchup. How likely is a team to change what they would typically do based on a matchup? Like, let's just say, for example, uh, we've got a um, pass heavy team uh, that is going up against a, uh, a team uh, like Jacksonville from a couple of years ago that had a great pass rush that uh, was living with Jalen Ramsey uh, being the best corner in the league and was really shutting teams down through the air. How liable is a team to really change what it wants to do because of that matchup? And how often or how likely are they to say, you know what, we believe in our strength. We're still going to do what we do and be ourselves. It's a good mix. It, it depends on how good of a player that guy at that particular position is on the opposite side. Um, unless you have a drastic scheme change, for instance, going back to college, we were a, 
I guess you can call it a spread team. You know, we're three wide receivers, a tight end, sometimes maybe four wide receivers and no tight end in the back. And, you know, when we played a team like, let's say, Wofford, who ran the option. So we knew, okay, Wofford is probably a little bit lighter up front. So we're going to bring in a tight end and also an H-back and lean more on the running game as opposed to try to air it out and play into their strengths because if we lose possession because we have incomplete passes, they run the option. They're going to possess the football. We have an advantage up front. Let's play to that advantage. Or when you're playing a team, let's say like Kansas City, where you may come into a game and your run defense is your strength, but how good is that run defense going to be against a team like Kansas City? And so you may have to adjust, okay, well, we we really have to be strategic on when we want to use our base personnel, which will help us out against the run. But do we trust our, our nickel package, uh, considering that, you know, we, we lose a little bit in the running game, but it helps us out more so on the passing game. So now how can we get better versus the run out of nickel? And that's where the adjustment changes uh, when you face a team like Kansas City that's going to come out and try to throw it, you know, 45 times a game. So what you're saying here is, and really for for both of the big questions that we've looked at, is that it's not all or nothing. That every You're sort of taking a little bit from everywhere to put together the game plan uh, no matter what the matchup is. Exactly. Because you don't want to go all into one thing and then a team that you're playing against game plans for something different because they expect you, okay, they're going to be all in on this. So let's completely scrap this for this week and come out and adjust it. And so you you to and plus you don't go out there with a week's worth of practice trying to do something that you're not comfortable with doing. So that's why you don't want to drastically change the game plan. You want to stick to the things that you do well. You add in maybe, you know, let's say eight to ten plays of something that's specifically targeted for this particular matchup and you mix that into your your regular plays that you're going to run um, because you want to stay true to who you are because that also breeds execution continuity and then you sprinkle in the new stuff that you worked on specifically for this matchup that should help you have success okay those eight to ten plays to me that is very interesting because again when in, in the fantasy world we talk about these you know matchups being something that could really determine especially like you're gonna play Julio Jones no matter what Julio Jones could be going up against a billion Jalen Ramseys and you're gonna play Julio Jones in fantasy Correct. leagues right but it's those borderline guys uh, it's a guy maybe like uh, Calvin Ridley especially with uh, uh, the way that he has struggled the last couple of weeks maybe even a little bit farther down the list uh, maybe a Terry McLaurin uh, guys like that off the top of my head who really are guys who can maybe go one way or the other based on matchup so those eight to ten plays how much does that can that influence what a player does at the bottom line bottom line production eight to ten plays are what maybe uh 15 20 percent of what you're going to run in a game how much how much should we increase a player because the eight to ten plays are going to work in his favor or decrease a player because the eight to ten plays are going to go away from what he does well well if you're looking at it from a player standpoint it's tough to gauge because you don't know if the player decides you know i'm play well today uh but if you're looking at it from just a sheer you know numbers and paper perspective it makes sense so for instance let's say you have the falcons since you use them as an example you got julio jones muhammad sanu and calvin ridley let's say you're facing a team that they're starting a rookie in the slot now you say okay well they're starting a rookie in the slot who we had graded as a marginal player, 
we're going to target that slot guy. So we're going to try to find ways to get our best on their worst. Now, we know they're going to probably, if we move Julio inside, they're going to mirror him with someone else better or bracket him with the safety. So we'll draw up a play to where if they bracket Julio, we have a play drawn up for Sanu and Ridley to get to win their one-on-one matchup or take advantage of their one-on-one matchup. If they don't put bracket help on Julio and then leave him on that, that rookie slot receiver, a slot corner that's struggling, obviously we are going to go to Julio. But if they don't, uh, if they mirror and, you know, and we say, okay, we're not going to move Julio in the slot because they moved their number one corner in the slot with him. We're just going to keep Julio on the outside. We're going to use our number three because we feel as though our number three, Calvin Ridley, is better than their starting nickel. And we're just going to draw up four to five plays. So they're going to be shot plays to take advantage of, of our matchup in this particular game. So then are individual matchups more important than team-wide matchups? Yes, because you'll look at a team and say, oh, this team is 32nd versus the run. Play this running back coming up because this team is 32nd versus the run. On paper, it sounds logical, very logical. Like they can't stop the run. They run the ball. You're going to have success. This running back is going to have success. It makes perfect logical sense. However, what makes them 32nd against the run may not work in your favor because let's say your offensive line is probably not as good as a team's offensive lines that they have faced. So your individual matchup may be different because of your personnel juxtaposed to theirs. So you may not have the, let's say if you're the Cowboys offensive line and you're facing a team that's 32nd against the run, you may want to start their tailback because, okay, the Cowboys offensive line is really good. But if you're the Jets offensive line and you're facing the 32nd ranked defense, that still doesn't give you the green light to start the Jets tailback because you don't know how the Jets, you know, individually pound for pound, they may not be able to win those matchups up front. Therefore, the run game won't work. And therefore, you have a back that you started that is not as successful, but the numbers told you to start that back. But you see how the matchups tend to matter in that case? Yeah. So so it really is a, again, this goes back to what you already said. It's all a blend of everything and that you don't trust one thing entirely at the complete expense of another thing. Correct. Um, so let's let's use a, a, a current example, an example coming up uh, in, in this discussion, a week five matchup that you're actually going to be at, that you're going to get to see live and in person, the uh, Vikings and the Giants in New York. Uh, we know what the Vikings want to do generally on a week in, week out basis, right? This is a team that has announced itself as a Dalvin Cook and defense team uh, when they are at their best, at least when they've been at their best this season, they've been riding Dalvin Cook. Uh, you know, 20, 25 times a game, he's been piling up 150, 170 yards, and they've been using that on offense and their great defense to get to wins. That worked against Atlanta, that worked against Oakland, did not work necessarily against Green Bay, and it did not work against Chicago in week four uh, in their loss to the Bears. Uh, now this week, they go up against the Giants team that on paper, they're they're better than. I think that's uh, an uncontroversial thing to say, uh, but the Giants have been very weak so far this season against the pass. The Vikings have not wanted to put the ball in Kirk Cousins' hands, uh, to sometimes to their detriment, as Adam Thielen pointed out after the loss to the Bears. How much, because of this specific matchup against the Giants' D, do the Vikings say, we need to get Cousins going, we need to get uh, this pass game going, because that's something we can exploit, and how much do they say, we are a team that wins with Dalvin Cook in our defense, we can't stray from that too much? You can... 
both answers can be true. They can get Cousins going against his defense. You just have to find where they have the best matchup. And so the matchup may not be strictly on the outside. So let's say you have Janoris Jenkins. So whoever Janoris Jenkins is covering, you may want to say, okay, we we can't go too much there, uh, so we have to go somewhere else. Giants are starting a rookie at, at the other corner, DeAndre Baker. Now you're going to see, okay, whichever guy that Jenkins doesn't cover, we're going to go to the guy that Baker is covering until he proves that he can make plays. And so whether that's Thielen or whether that's Diggs, they're going to try to get Baker in a disadvantageous situation, which could easily help uh, Cousins get off to a great start. Now, that's just from a big play perspective. If they really want to get him into a groove with some nice, short, easy completions where the Giants don't have the biggest depth and where they're weak right now because of injury, linebackers. So maybe that's more Delvin Cook in, a, in the passing game. Maybe you finally find ways to work your tight ends in the passing game. Uh, take advantage of those linebackers and covers. That's a way they can get Cousins going. Then once you have that, now you're able to run the football a little bit more because they're going to be worried about the short passing game. They're going to be worried about getting beat over top because you have uh, Thielen and Th- Diggs out there. And um, and now you're able to have success running the football. So you may see Cousins have a, a better day uh, from a completion percentage standpoint. It's going to be a lot of short, quick passes. Uh, and and also, if you find out a guy is a bad tackler, which isn't the case for Baker, but may be the case for Jenkins, you may see quick, short pop passes and, and try to take advantage of your guy beating him one-on-one and breaking a tackle and getting up the field. Plus, you also look at, let's say, uh, Lorenzo Carter, who's going to be a little bit nicked up in this game um, because of he left the, the Washington game a little bit early because of an injury. So now you, without your best outside linebacker, a guy that does a good job in setting the edge, a guy that does a good job in, in collapsing the pocket, now you look at, okay, who's his replacement? Maybe we could run right at him and have a lot more off-tackle plays, taking advantage of the new guy at outside linebacker, which also means a guy like um, Cook could have a lot of success in a running game. And once they start trying to help out that guy on the edge because he's struggling to stop the run, They will bring that extra guy down to try to help uh, set the edge for him, play a force defender. And now you're taking a one-on-one opportunity with your tight ends over the middle of the field. So you see how it all kind of intertwines. And these are like the inner thinkings of a game that go on, the the constant chess pieces that that go on. Okay, are they going to stop this? We move on to this this, uh, next thing. If they're going to stop that, we have a plan B. Oh, who's this guy that just checked in? Let's try to test him. And so it's constantly evolving. That's why you have coaches on the ground and coaches in the box. So, I mean, all that stuff that you talk about, is that is this the discussion that's happening that in this specific example results in those eight to 10 special plays getting drawn up uh, with the Vikings being a run team that maybe thinks it can take advantage of the Giants pass defense? Yeah. And also it could be plays or even new personnel groupings. Let's say you come into a game and you've never used three slot receivers before, you know, and you find out these guys are are bigger corners, they're bigger safeties. So the best thing you could do is get into a bunch formation, which is probably something you let's say you never use bunch. This time you're going to use heavy bunch. You're going to use heavy uh, your quicker receivers that may not have played together, but they've played a lot. So now they're in the game at the same time, and that's a way to take advantage of these bigger non you know less agile defenders. But that's a matchup that's playing in your favor because you want to get the ball to those guys quick, take advantage of their ability to make a guy miss in space, 
And then, you know, you have that's where you generate those big plays. And you start talking about this, you start diving in. I mean, you and I have been talking for, uh, I don't know, about 20 minutes or so here. And you, you, you start to see why football coaches work 18 hour days. Right. Because, again, <laughs> it's it's a you know, as much as I say football is an easy game, it really is an easy game. Don't get me wrong. But when you look at the NFL game, juxtaposed to a college game, the NFL, the coaches, that's I mean, and, you know, that's all they do all day. They're nine to five is coaching. And not like it's it's not any different in college, but there's a 20 hour rule in college in the NFL. They legitimately can can be there eight hours a day for the three days a week working on your weaknesses and working on how to exploit those weaknesses. You know, so there's so much that goes into an NFL game plan, I can imagine, uh, because of the time that they have this is their full-time job and players this is their full-time job there's no class there's no you know other obligations it's all football eight to ten hours a day in preparation for a game on sunday so they are always prepared for something um and that's why you see these coaches try to try to maximize the day by getting into the office early to take advantage uh, a couple of other matchups that uh, I think fit into this discussion well this weekend. Uh, I guess one of them is uh, uh, during the week, Monday Night Football. Uh, we've got the Browns and the 49ers in San Francisco. And then on Sunday, uh, the Panthers host the Jacksonville Jaguars. I'm wondering, uh, using the uh, 49ers and Jaguars defense as our entry point to the discussion, how quickly teams change uh what they think about their opponents uh the 49ers coming into the season uh sort of an unknown commodity on defense but I don't think anyone necessarily expected them to be as good as they have been thus far uh, football outsiders has them ranked as the second best defense so far this season sixth against the run uh how much will that change what Cleveland wants to do and I'll throw Jacksonville in there as well a, a defense that going back to uh the start of Jalen Ramsey's career had allowed I believe one 300 yard passer and it was Patrick Mahomes then Jalen Ramsey finally doesn't play a game last week and uh Joe Flacco goes for 300 yards and three touchdowns against them so how quickly will the Browns say yes this 49ers defense is a good run defense maybe we need to change up what we want to do how quickly will Carolina say no Jalen Ramsey we can attack this team through the air well you look at um the Browns first coaches will go back and look at their previous games how teams ran try to run the football against them and do we have some of the same issues or we're better at running the football in this case you look at okay we know Baker Mayfield has to find windows you know, to, to, to fit the football in. We know the 49ers have a ton of length and athleticism along the defensive line. They got long, link, lengthy defensive linemen. You know, Buckner, uh, uh, Bosa, you know, D4 is a shorter guy, but he is explosive off the edge. What can we do to neutralize these guys? And you also look at maybe they are good against the run because teams maybe haven't tried to run because they are trying to throw the football. So, you know, if they're having success in throwing the football, then there's no need for the running game to work. Or if your team is turning the ball over and you created these short, short fields, these short possessions, that could also skew your run defense. I mean, your run, yeah, your run defense number. So you're always going to try to run the football because teams, um, offensive linemen will tell you that it's best for them to go forward as opposed to pass pro. And if you allow your your quarterback that's six one, um, 
to try to be back there in the pocket with a, a link, uh, you know, lengthy pass rush that can collapse and, you know, clog up those passing windows. Now he's going to have to vacate and try to buy time. That's a losing situation for him. So the best thing to do you know, when you're facing a team like that is to run right at it. And we'll see what if they learn the fact that, hey, we can run the football. We we ran it against the Rams and they got Aaron Donald. We ran it against the Baltimore, the vaunted Baltimore Ravens defense, you know, give or take you know, the, the level of that defense being good right now. But it's still the Baltimore Ravens and you ran the football successfully against them. You had some running success against the Jets before you got away from it. So the Browns can go into this game and say, hey, yo, they're good against the run, but we are good uh, with the run. So we can run the football, too. And then we can allow our quarterback the time in the pocket off of play action to find opportunities deep down the field because we're going to keep testing this running game because we feel as though we can definitely run the football because we've proven it against two good defenses in Baltimore and in against Los Angeles, where whereas the you know the 49ers played the Bengals. They don't have a ground game to speak of. They couldn't run the ball against the Steelers. They also played the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who don't have a ground game to speak of. And also we got the the ball, we got turned we turned the ball over twice, two of which went back for touchdowns. So those numbers, that defense could be a little bit shaky. And you know, we know the Steelers didn't run the football really well or can't run the football really well. Uh, they resorted to trick plays against Cincinnati. So the 49ers have played the Bucks run def- run game, the Steelers run game, and the Bengals run game. So how good is that run defense for San Francisco, juxtaposed to the Browns saying, hey, we ran the ball well against the Rams, the Jets, and also the Ravens? Yeah, and let me just uh, add also that right, Joe Mixon was not 100% in that game for Cincinnati, and that game got out of hand quickly. And James Conner uh, suffered an injury in the Pittsburgh game against San Francisco, uh, whereas Nick Chubb comes into this game uh, not only fully healthy, but looking like one of the best running backs in the league. There you go. And so if you're Cleveland, your best bet may be to run the football. Um, so a little bit different question with uh, Jacksonville and uh, Carolina because you know this is a clear personnel thing. Jalen Ramsey, we know what he is. Uh, he was not on the field. And like I said, Joe Flacco suddenly becomes the second quarterback next to Patrick Mahomes to throw for 300 yards against a Jacksonville defense since Jalen Ramsey has been there. Now, when it's a personnel difference, is that just a plug-and-play, let's do it, this team can't cover our uh, our guys if Jalen's not on the field? Now, who are they playing this week? I'm sorry. They've got Carolina. Yeah, it's a situation where, okay, if Jalen's not there, now now we, we don't have to really limit our passing game to two options. Now we can open it up to three. And now we like our matchups more as opposed to sacrificing our best receiver against their best corner. And hopefully he'll win a matchup here or there. Without him, it's like, okay, now we can scan the field. We can create plays to get everyone a great opportunity on every play. Um, Because when you're dealing with a personnel guy, a personnel that features a a lockdown corner, so to speak, or a top-tier corner like that, you tend to shy away from that. You just understand, okay, well, we'll pick our chances to go to that in that direction, but we're going to mainly work the other two options in the passing game. Now they can work the entire field. Um, all right, I want to wrap up this discussion with uh, with one last thing, and, and this is really a big one in the fantasy world because, um, you know, I'm this really this is really the point of uh, the advanced route, right? Bringing stats and scouting together. Uh, stats is a huge, stats are a huge part 
of what we talk about when we talk about fantasy football and should I start, you know, player X or player Y and should I trade, you know, wide receiver Z to, you know, my league mate for running back B. Uh, stats have a ton to do with those decisions that we that we make. And I want to ask you, uh, from your standpoint, when a team is sitting down and looking at matchups, what stats matter and what stats are, are just noise? One of the stats that that truly matter is third down, because tell, that tells you that, OK, their third down efficiency is is outstanding. So they do a good job of of really understanding their personnel, personnel, getting their best personnel in position to make plays to convert to stay on the field. And so there that also means they're doing a great job on first down. Um, so what are their openers? What did they do well on first down? So you, you look at the third down percentage, you're like, man, they do a great job of converting so that they're, they're extending these drives. That means they're doing a great job of play calling and getting guys in the right position to make plays and guys are getting the job done. Uh, that's the biggest one. Defensively, you always want to look at pressure and there's, you know, good pressure statistics because not everything pays off in the sack. Um, but there are good pressure statistics out there that people focus on. And that's a great way to go about it because pressure also applies to the running game. It also applies to, you know, getting the quarterback to throw an incomplete pass, which then helps your third down defensive percentage. So I will look at the pressure stats on defense and also, um, you know, third down on offense. To me, those are the biggest ones. Is is pressure the way that you you think is the is that the best way to judge a pass defense? That's a great question because you know everyone will tell you if you don't get pressure, you can't. I mean, you could have Dion, Rob Woodson, Eric Allen. And, you know, Justin Coleman out there and you, you won't be able to cover. But if you can get pressure juxtaposed with great cover guys, you're going to turn the ball over. But if you can, you know, combine pressure with good corners, good cover guys, you're going to make a lot of plays. Case in point, um, when the Seahawks were who they were, the Legion of Boom, they had great personnel on the back end that turned the ball over. The Saints currently have a good pass rush. Where, where they get pressure, but they have good players on the back end. Quietly, um, Eli Apple has been exactly what they needed as a as a cornerback too, juxtaposed, juxtaposed to Marshawn Lattimore, who's doing a great job. And if we're being honest, they're weaker in the slot. You know, with P.J. Williams or whoever's going to be the slot corner for that particular matchup, that's where they're weakest. But they don't have the you know opponents don't have the time to exploit that because of the pressure. They can't go to the outside because you got Eli Apple, who may not have the best ball skills, but his coverage is he's right there lockstep with the receiver. You don't want to go to Lattimore's side because he has the ball skills and can turn the ball over. And you don't want to throw an errant over the middle of the field because you do have Marcus Williams back there who has great range. So they have good personnel on the back end, but the pressure makes it look like they're doing a fantastic job. And we've seen it the last two weeks against Seattle and against the Cowboys. One, uh, you know, well-held uh, axiom in the fantasy world, um, at least we think it's an axiom, uh, is that per play efficiency is it matters more than, you know, per game. Uh, that uh, what a team allows per play is a better gauge of who they are than what they allow per game. That there is some, uh, there's, there's some, you know, matchup variance in per game numbers. That there is some, you know, outliers that can come into per game numbers that could totally skew uh, what that ends up being on the bottom line. Whereas what a team allows per play or what a team puts up per play. Uh, it is really speaks to their play in play out 
um, efficiency and explosiveness. Uh, do do teams and players look at that the same way? Are we reading that the same way that would be discussed in a team meeting room? I don't know, man. That, to me, that sounds very. Uh, it sounds very skeptical, you know, because per play could be situational, you know, just as they say per game is can, you know, a lot of things can go into a per game statistic to where it skews it. Well, per play could be the same way. What if you have a cornerback that, you know, it was a busted assignment and it's a one-time thing they give up an 80 yard pass or or a 12 yard pass. Let's just say, you know, they give up a first down right there that gets thrown into the per play average, Mm -hmm. you know, where if you look at it from a, uh, Per game, I think that number, that twelve yard pass that they gave up, kind of get shrink shrinks it shrinks down to you know it was just a one bad play in the game. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I I mean, I think that's more situational, more situational than the uh, what they're trying to say about per game statistics. So I guess the argument there would be that that there are more data points in per play stats, right? I mean, teams run 60, 70 plays in a game, whereas there are only 16 games in a season. But I guess then you're also sort of saying the same thing, that the per game number smooths out all 70 of those plays, um, whereas each one one individual play is just one individual play. It's an interesting – either way, it's an interesting discussion. And I right, think because I think it's like – I think we're saying the same thing. Yeah. And it speaks back to what you were saying – uh, and what you've said a few times here that it is something where you're looking for a blend of multiple points of view and multiple uh, points of entry for attacking a defense or for uh, being able to slow down an offense that you want to find ways to put together what you do well and what they do poorly and, and marry those up for the best sort of outcome for yourself. Right. And I feel like, you know, it's two sides it's the same side of, you know, it's different sides of the same coin. You know, you're kind of saying the same thing. I, I just, I just think that, you know, per play, I, I don't, maybe I'm just not understanding it um, because I see it as irrelevant, you know, because you may give up a big play here or there, or you may give up a, you know, a five yard carry there. And let's say the first play, the first series of the game, you may give, you may give up five yards here on a run. Seven yards there on a run, you know, you get a two yard gain, then they get a, a you know a, a ten yard run, and you probably look at that per play like okay, there if you average that out on that drive, like man, per play they average this, um, but in the total game, that was the last big drive that they had was the first drive. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So it, I, I just I don't know. I, I I think per play may be a little bit too specific to where it becomes irrelevant in my opinion. Let me ask you this. Let me put it this way. Is it something that uh, you ever saw talked about? No. See, that's interesting. And I'm not, say- I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm not saying well, remember, that. Remember, last time I played football was in 2000. Yeah. So in your, in your scouting discussions, is it anything that is it anything that you consider or anything that when you're talking scout to scout that people discuss at all? No. So that, 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 I'm not saying one side's right and one side's wrong, and that's again, that's that's where this is where the uh, you know the uh, the advanced route. This is where we you know bring you know the handshake together. Is that it's just an interesting way, two different ways of thinking about it. Neither one is necessarily right or wrong. It's just two different ways uh, to come at. And, you know, we all have the same goal at the end of the day, right? And it's two different ways to come at it. It's an it's just an interesting thought from my perspective. 
Well, it's just like the whole uh, running back elusiveness rating that you're seeing tossed about out there where guys talking about, oh, this person has made these many ta- – he mm-hmm. forces this many missed tackles, right? But your eye is telling you that, it's, that he just isn't, isn't as explosive. For instance, let's just use, you know, David Montgomery and Tariq Cohen for an example. The stats will tell you that Montgomery has a, you know, he forces X amount of missed tackles per per carry, per game. And so now everyone is talking about using that stat and talking about him as an elusive runner. But your human eye is telling you that Tariq Cohen is making everybody miss. But that doesn't show up in the stats. But in your eyes are telling you, the truth like man every time i watch him they seem to have a hard time bringing him down but every time i watch this other guy who has the high elusiveness rating he's constantly getting tackled in the backfield or constantly getting tackled one yard down the field or is averaging three yards a carry but the stats are telling me that he is the most elusive back that they have but my eye is telling me that this dude that just ran a 60 yard touchdown that made three people miss untouched is the better and more elusive back so you see how like I, you, yeah. you got to be careful. Um, sometimes these you got to uh, like they say, who's grading the greater, you know? So mm-hmm. who's who's policing these guys that are coming up with these new stats that are so detailed that it is starting to not make sense, like elusiveness ranking, um, and you know you're telling somebody that Travaris Cadet was more elusive than. CJ Spiller and it's like yo what the hell are you talking about (laughs) yeah I have a I have a little bit of trouble with those subjective stats because I'm always curious as to yeah how can you know for sure that a that a tackle was avoided or I mean you, you don't know what the what the defensive assignment was necessarily right I mean I mean how much of that how much of what we see as elusiveness or what we see as a receiver beating a defender is really you know, half, yeah, he did that, but also the defensive scheme made that something that was an opening for the offensive player. Or, you know, there's a, there's a human element in it that people forget too, because they tend to look at it like, oh, well, you know, they expect the numbers say he's going to make these guys miss. But the human element was like, you know, maybe he, you know, maybe he tweaked the ankle or tweaked the hamstring. He's not as, he's not the same back he was in the first quarter that he was in the third like so, that's why you you know if you're overly reliant on stats and, and try to remove, which is the, what they're trying to do, remove the human element out of the game that's played by humans, then you're you're gonna come up wrong every time. Like they're wrong about David Montgomery and that Bears running game. All right, Emery, we uh, we got to wrap this up here. Uh, so the the title of this episode is "How much do matchups matter?" So I'm gonna let you have the last word on that. How much do matchups matter? How much value should we be putting in matchups in our fantasy football lineups? Matchups matter a ton. And that's why it requires fantasy football footballers to, you know, focus on the matchups. Don't rely on, you know, what you're reading, all the information that you're reading. Try to try to focus in on it. Like, cause the stats will tell you one thing, but the the tape will tell you something else. The stats will tell you that this team is like we talked about. San Francisco is great versus the run, but the film will tell you, yeah, they played the Steelers, the Bengals, and the Bucks, who don't run the football well. 
now they're playing the Browns. Do you still trust those stats to say they have the best run defense, or do you trust the Browns in, in their running game, which you just saw run over Baltimore, run over the Jets, and also run over the Rams before they got away from it? So that's why it's always good to, to you know, yeah, you could read some information, but go and check the film to see if it jives with what you're saying. And some people say, well, I don't have the time. I trust you you guys as an analyst to give me the right information. Well, believe half of what you hear, believe half of what you see and none of what you hear. So <laughs> go and do the, go do the work yourself. Hey, I learned that from Marvin Gaye. There you go. Friend, heard it through the grapevine, my friend. Hey, see, see how it works? So <laughs> much truth in tones. <laughs> you didn't just uh, hear this one through the grapevine. You heard it straight from the horse's mouth. Thank you for listening to the advanced route. Again, you can get Emery uh, at F-Ball Game Plan on Twitter, and you can get me at M. Beller. Uh, later this week, Jake Seeley, Brandon Funston, and I will help you uh, start to uh, read the matchups and get ready uh, for your fantasy football games over the weekend with the ranking show that'll be live for you on Wednesday, and that can take you all the way through to set your lineups this week. Emery and I, of course, will be back with you with a new episode of the advanced route next week. Until then, Enjoy the rest of your week. We'll talk to you right here next week on the Advanced Route.